general nerdery. Do you want to read a comic book that looks like it would be super bitchin' painted on the side of a van? Do you want something that sounds like a corn concept album but actually good? Well then General Nerdery has the book for you. Oh my god, there's so many <laughs> there's so many panels in this comic that I want on the side of a van. It, it... Welcome to General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things, and today we're liking Dark Knight's Metal from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. And as much as I roll my eyes at that name, it is the most accurate comic book name I have ever heard. While being just completely nebulous, too. Because if all you're going by is the name that... It tells just, you nothing. You know Batman is involved with Dark Knights. Right. Hopefully. And that's, and that's about it. But it's not <laughs> something like... I mean, it's not something like Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm. Uh, or, yeah, any of the crises. Uh, on, actually, Onslaught doesn't tell you shit either. But. Yeah, that's true. And in fact, thinking about it, there's a lot of things that probably don't tell you shit. But Yeah, names are... Comic book names really are like, does this sound fucking cool? Anyways, super distracted. We're your channels on Nerdery. I forgot to do this part earlier. I'm Zach. <laughs> I'm Tyler. Uh, and before we dive into that, uh, what have we been ingesting this week? Uh, all right. So what have I been ingesting this week? I finally got around to finishing Red Dead Redemption 2. Wow. You've been playing that for... Well, I took a break from it. Oh, so, okay. so what happened was I, I half burned myself out by rushing through the last part of the chaptered story. But there's epilogues to the story. Because minor spoilers, I don't know if it counts as a spoiler because it's not like, it's not sudden. It doesn't surprise you. But your main character dies. Like this is a prequel and that character is not in the first game. Oh, I didn't know it was a prequel. I knew that, like, a character died and there was a whole bunch to it. But... And it's not, like, a sudden thing. Like, you get diagnosed with TB at a point in the game. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're not living through that. So, like, a good portion of the game is you, like, watching your character gradually succumb to TB. My character has consumption is not where I expected Red Dead Redemption 2 to go, although it might be the most accurate part of uh, Grand Theft Cowboy. Um, so when, when Arthur died like it was hard for me to want to finish the game because he's probably the best character in the entire series You've been working with arthur for a while now man yeah <laughs> but also finishing his part of the story i just went stupid hard for like an entire weekend in a row not realizing how long some of those missions were and i truly like also burnt myself out a bit so this weekend i finally came back around finished the epilogue which was actually super satisfying yeah that's what i did <laughs> Let's see, I got two for us. First, I have been just devouring Shokugeki, uh, Food Wars Shokugeki no Sama. Okay. The manga, not the anime. Mm -hmm. It is, it was described to me as horny on main, and it is the most accurate description of a manga I've ever read. Like, this book is so fanservice-y that I don't think I could watch the anime, mm. but like, and I can barely read the manga if it... If it did one or two things differently, I'd be like, this is just garbage. So anyone who doesn't like this series, I don't blame you. Um, but it was recommended to me by Roar, Sean, I don't remember which name we went by. He was on our Zelda episode. Uh, he insists that makes him, made him a better cook. And reading it, I can kind of understand why. It is a shonen anime, so like Dragon Ball, Naruto, mm -hmm. like power-up challenges. But it's about cooks. Okay. 
and it's about like the world's worst it's supposed to be the best but like the world's worst place for learning cooking because everything like it's got a 10% graduation rate and it's supposed to be like really intimidating <laughs> like that's terrible you need to completely rework what your like curriculum is if your graduation rate is that bad yeah but a the, the reason this comic got made is the artist drew this picture of someone enjoying food, but he depicted the enjoyment of the food as, like, sexy teenage lady having an orgasm, basically. Yes. Uh, sexy woman having orgasm. And in this, the food is so good that, like, their clothes will explode off and they'll come. Like, they don't say it, but it is clearly what's happening. Uh, CC likes to joke, is that porn when I'm reading manga? And I'm having a harder time arguing her on this one. You're like, I, yes. <laughs> no, but sort of. Um, but it's kind of cool because they hired a professional chef to give them real recipes to use. And they'll include the recipes in, like, simplified versions. But mm -hmm. still, in the manga itself. So there's actually, like, an apple risotto that they made that I am thinking about trying to make tomorrow. I'm going to fuck it up. I'm not a great cook. But do it. I'm going to do it. The dish I make best, I learned off of a fucking uh, DVD extra. Perfect. Uh, and it's actually, we were, you guys won't be able to tell this, but we're recording this late, partly because I can't stop reading fucking Shokugeki no Sama. When you're supposed to be reading metal. Yes. And then you're like, sure, we can record like six days later. And I read Shokugeki no Sama for another like five days went shit. Um, it's okay. That just means metal will be fresh with you. Oh, yeah. Whereas I was super fresh last week and then spent the morning being like, okay, I need to watch a couple videos on YouTube. Get I mean, my... You could have said something. I no, it's have... fine. Um, no, we're good. We're good. And then the other thing that I... Last night I watched uh, the first episode of Lower Decks came out. Star Trek Lower Decks. How was it? I need to see it soon myself for different reasons than you. You do really need to see it. I think you would really like this one. Uh, for those who don't remember, we've talked about this a little bit. Star Trek Lower Decks. By the time this episode comes out, two episodes will be out. It is a 20... Half hour-ish. Half hour plus commercials. Animated Star Trek comedy. Which does not sound like it should work. But it worked really well. Mm -hmm. About the like four lowest ranked people on the one of the least important ships in Starfleet. Uh, they are the ship that their primary duty is second contact. <laughs> the yes. other ships go do first contact. And this ship is the people that has to go do, you know, like the paperwork. Uh, it is the, the main guy creating it is not a creator of Rick and Morty, but he was one of the major people yeah. involved in Rick and Morty. And he is a creator on Solar Opposites, which he does with Royland from Rick and Morty. Um, and the reviews I read were not good. They were like, oh, it wants to be good, but can't decide what to be. I had a hell of a time watching this. I had so much fun. It is... It can't resist making fun of Star Trek. But it so clearly loves Star Trek and wants to be Star Trek and is Star Trek mm -hmm. that I didn't care. I was like, ah, that is goofy. Like, uh... When you meet two of the characters, they're trying to fix one of the replicators and it just keeps yelling hot bananas and like launching like steaming hot bananas at the person trying to fix it. It's like Red Dwarf in the world of Star Trek in some yes. ways. Like 
and it made some real challenges, and there was a real Star Trek episode happening the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's basically a zombie virus gets on board the ship, and, like, the four people have completely different reactions, ranging from, this is amazing, to, like, oh, for fuck's sake. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, how Tawny Newsome do? She is... I don't know any of the names yet. I've only seen the first episode. Mm-hmm. The black woman ensign who's one of the main yes. characters? Okay. She was the most fun part of the series. Yeah. I love Tawny. She's funny. She challenges what Starfleet is while still, in a lot of ways, being a pretty good Starfleet officer. She immediately breaks the Prime Directive, but then immediately challenges, like, whether it's good or not. Mm -hmm. She is, unlike everyone else who's the super low-ranking, like, just starting out, she was apparently, used to be of higher rank, and got fired, not fired, but demoted for being a smartass who refuses to toe the line mm-hmm. which is kind of more interesting in some ways to have that person rather than s- just a normal low-ranked yes. person and you have like uh, go into it a little bit you have the person who literally just got out of starfleet like or this is her first mission first time on a big ship super excited yeah uh they're like uh oh, totally you, green how you feel and literally is green in color too oh, okay. but uh how, how you feeling about all this i did not Right now. <laughs> how, how you feeling about this? You just got attacked by zombies on your first day. And she's like, that was amazing. I got to hold a human heart. Because she's a doctor or nurse. There's a guy who just got a Vulcan cybernetic implant. But he hasn't figured out how to deal with it yet. So it keeps trying to suppress his emotions. Okay. So he'll like, he's on a first date and he's being like nice and charming and friendly. And then suddenly just yells out, that is illogical. Yes. <laughs> There's the guy that, like, is desperate to be, like, a captain in Starfleet and really wants to advance and is, I think, going to become a little disillusioned as he realizes that not everyone in Starfleet is the crew of the Enterprise. Not everyone is Captain Picard. Right. Uh, And then there's the lady we talked about that I, again, do not know her name. I will know all of these characters' names, I promise you. I really enjoyed this show. Well, I mean, we'll probably end up having to do something with it at some we'll point. We'll give it, but like, three or four it's episodes. It's now. only, like, 20 yeah. episodes. Not 20. Only, like, 20 minutes long. So, like, one episode. Yeah, I could talk about it for an hour and stuff, but, like, we don't get yeah. as much out of yeah. it. No. Well, we'll wait till they've done That's something. What I, That's but. what I... We'll wait till, like, end, I don't know. It made me want to run a Star Trek game. Like, oh. a tabletop game. Yeah, yeah. Because it's absolutely what a Star Trek tabletop game would turn into. I could see that just from the from the the fucking because no commercials. There's no way to run a serious tabletop game. Like in theory, yeah. it happens, but I've never once pulled it off. Right. But you can run a really goofy one that is a love letter to things. Mm-hmm. And actually, it'll be last couple days when this is coming out. But Humble Bundle is doing a thing where for 15 bucks you can get the entire Star Trek online tabletop. I think it's called Star Trek Adventures for like 15 oh, bucks. Shit. Okay. PDFs. And I got those, and I ordered, because they gave discounts, the core books for playing as Starfleet and for playing as Klingons. Okay. And I want to run a campaign where it's a mixed crew of Starfleet and Klingons having to work together on this ship. And, like, Starfleet are, like, really trying. Like, yeah, yeah. we're going to... in spirit. But for the Klingons, this is, like, you're in trouble duty. You have to go work with the humans. Right. Okay. And run a, a campaign where that's the setting. Cause that sounds amazing to me. I, in my head, 
there's a way. I mean, it, it would be a game, so it would never go this way. I know the way the fucking mm. tabletop games go. But just that concept to me ends up feeling like the Devil's Brigade in space. I fucking love it. Did you ever see the Devil's Brigade? Old World no, War II movie? No, but it's basically like Magnificent Seven, that same concept, but with more people. Yeah, it was, the, it was the story of the first um, U.S.-Canadian special forces. Mm. Having to work together, they actually trained over in Helena. Yeah, okay, I did know that part. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking hilarious. They have the great fucking bar fight. Anyway, that's going way off topic. Oh, us? <laughs> or every podcast ever? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's not scripted? That's fine, though, because I do know what's next, and it's the news. Oh, yeah, no, let's do this. Um, Warren Ellis is off Castlevania. Oh, shit. I'm not surprised. It's the right call to make, but... He worked on that series or versions of that for a decade before it finally got made, even. Um, he had already completed all of his work for the next season, mm -hmm. so that will still come out as planned. That's what, season three? That'll be four. Four, okay. Um, but then after that, season five forward, he won't be involved anymore. We've talked this one to death i think yeah. it's the right call i'm still sad about it but i don't think it's not it's, no like warren should keep his job but just ugh, god damn it man right i as i said i'm bleeding to forgive him but he needs to go away and actually grow as a person for a while and fun thing not that he's ever gonna have his level of nerd god again and he shouldn't but if warren learned and grew as a person his work could grow a lot because the last couple of years his stuff has been kind of good but like glory days were kind of behind him so if he actually like had to try again you could get some really amazing work out of that yeah but, yeah it's kind Fucking of up to him if he's gonna make the growth to get to that point though yeah i'm curious how it's gonna affect the series because i have been super fucking loving the netflix castlevania um They've been doing a really amazing job of adapting that property. and Adaptations aren't Ellis's strongest thing because you don't get as much Ellis being a weird, shitty yeah. old man for now good and ill. But Castlevania is exactly the kind of dark crap that he was right <laughs> into. Uh, so I think like if they had tried to do a Transmet series without Warren, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Castlevania, there it might should, be a dip in quality, but it should be okay. There's enough other good, this would look bitching on the side of a van writers. Get fucking Scott Snyder to do it. I don't know if he'd even be interested, but it'd be good. Yeah, it'd be good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's weird because honestly, that show shouldn't be working as well as it does. And he was one of the big names that made that show possible. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Could suck. It's the right move in, with what's been going on, but... It's a good call, but that doesn't mean we have to be happy about yeah. it. <laughs> like... Also, with shitty call, but for other more corporate reasons, oh, no. it looks like Spider-Man is going to be a PlayStation exclusive in the upcoming Marvel, game, Marvel Avengers game. And then, as of... I think just a few hours ago, I think one of the higher up PlayStation executives was talking about like, yeah, we've reached out to all third parties trying to figure out ways to make just like a PlayStation advantage, basically, and just licensing exclusive deals. Um, you know, 
I'm back and forth because I I would love to say I don't like exclusives, but I'm also a Nintendo fanboy. Mm-hmm. And where I'm like, yeah, I'll buy anything Nintendo does because I like nin- not anything, but like. If there's a system that I'm going to buy, it's probably Nintendo, so I can get the Nintendo exclusives. And then I'm like, ugh, PlayStation exclusive. So I'm a complete fucking hypocrite on this one. Um, I had thought that Avengers was PlayStation exclusive. Oh, no, I, no, it's not. It's not, so that's okay. There's already been pretty, pretty big backlash against this move because I'd say in the last year or so... Microsoft and Nintendo both have been opening up a lot more than in the past to making things work together. Cross-platforming is finally becoming a thing. And it's and the PlayStation right... has been the biggest hurdle. And it's the right move to make. Mm-hmm. I say as someone who plays Nintendo Switch, which can't cross-platform <laughs> most of these games, um, but I'm probably going to get a PlayStation whatever fucking number we're up to now. Uh, Six, five? Four is out, five's upcoming. Five. Because it's going to give me two Spider Man games? Yeah. See, I'm. Two. <laughs> I'll probably be getting the new Xbox, but then at the same time, I plan on getting the PS4 and catching up on some exclusives that have already come out that have not been in my life because they're fucking exclusives. See, my plan had been buy a PS4 when it comes out. So, because I, I can get some of those games. But then they're like, oh, nope, second Spider-Man. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Fine. I'll spend stupid amounts of money for pretty much just those games and some Cowboy Theft Auto. I almost said Cowboy Bebop there. That's not remotely correct. <laughs> oh, fucking Cowboy Theft Auto is so good. Uh, Cow Theft Auto? I don't know. That doesn't Um, I don't... It's kind of gross. PlayStation quipping dicks. That's all I'm getting at. It's kind of gross, but I'm not surprised. I'm not a huge fan of Sony as a company. Yeah. I liked their Discmans back in, like, when Discman was a thing. Because you could run them over with a truck and it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Sony's, yeah. Get with it. Nintendo and Microsoft are starting to be way more on board. Just make it good for all of us. I was such a devotee to the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2. Stop making me roll my eyes at you. <laughs> like, I would care. They're giving Kevin Smith an animated Green Hornet. Oh, shit, yeah. Are they adapting? Geared towards more of a family-friendly, younger audience. All right, whatever. Are they adapting his series that, like, Jonathan Lau... It, and, uh, I don't Phil think Hester it's. Did? I I don't believe it's a straight adaptation, but it's still the same sort of idea where it's the kids and it's the um, old female man Kato ha- and no female Kato. Oh, but she's the daughter of old man Kato. Yeah, they used both of them, and I bet they still will, because people are really scared of not using the Bruce Lee character. Right. Mark Wade once talked. He's like, if you could has- cast anyone as Kato, who would you do? And he was like, Ming Na Wen. Absolutely, and it's a great choice. Um, Fucking A. She might be a little old now, because I just imagine these two as young. Although, we've seen older Green Hornet and Kato a few times, so you could still super easily do it. Yeah. I am just increasingly like, stop giving 40 and 50 year old superhero roles. They age out too fast. Mm-hmm. Also, it's just hard on the body. But, um... And we'll be getting a Black Beauty, of course. We'll be getting a Black Beauty... We'll get uh, Kevin Smith, having read his adaptation, he does a good Green Hornet. He gets what's fun about the characters. And um, 
he doesn't just... It's really easy to do Green Hornet where Green Hornet is completely fucking useless and Kato carries the day. Mm -hmm. And there's something kind of funny about that. And especially when Bruce Lee was your Kato. Poor Van Cleef, I think it was. Uh, Van Williams. Van Williams, thank you. Uh, it, it was not Van Williams' fault that he couldn't, like, look intimidating when Bruce Lee is doing stuff next to him. But, like, a good Green Hornet story still has Green Hornet being capable in his own right, while still admitting that Kato's the fighter of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got that, so I would enjoy... I'm looking forward to this. I'm a big Green Hornet fan. I know Green Hornet can be done well, because I've seen Green Hornet done well. One of the things he's already talked about that is going to be kind of fun is with... Because it's obvious, it's not just him. He's just, you know, mm -hmm. showrunner on it. Is telling the writers, like, here's something we've never really gotten to do with Green Hornet. Give him, like, an ongoing rogues gallery. Oh, my God, yeah. There's been a couple good... Green Hornet rogues, but you never get him repeatedly. Also, since we've talked about being fans of TV shows over movies in a lot of cases, this gives time for Green Hornet to develop instead of, you know, you've got two hours to sell this character that not many people know. Give it to Seth Rogen and let's go. Right. I'm sorry, Seth Rogen, you do a lot of really good stuff, but... I mean, he was executive producer on Preacher, and I think it's better than the comic. Yeah, no, he does a lot of good stuff. He's just... <laughs> It, Oof. sometimes people make bad things it's okay but mm -hmm. we also kind of get to make fun of them for it yep trust me there's a bunch of shit I've made that you get to make fun of me for probably shit on this podcast. and of course I'm a Kevin Smith fanboy so Ooh. that's always exciting Green Hornet Kevin Smith Netflix animated sign me Black up. Beauty Black Beauty I'm really excited for the Black Beauty <laughs> I'm curious if this how is Kevin Smith has been working on a lot of stuff lately especially animated things because he's doing the he-man and the masters yeah. i wonder that's, if he's gonna leave he-man finishing this, well or... that's finishing up anyway right now well the first season is well yeah it sounds yeah listening to him talk on podcasts every week it sounds like this is running in a schedule where like the tail end of one is overlapping with the beginning of the other that's cool that's way to do it um I am disappointed on He-Man that it's not going to be able to cross over with Noelle Stevenson's She-Ra. Oh, right. She-Ra was a fucking accomplishment. I haven't watched it. We'll I've, heard on it. Things, will... <laughs> I've heard only good things, though. I've heard only good things. The last of this... Okay, I guess... So this is kind of fun. <laughs> I was going to say the last of the... I was going to say the last of these things are all kind of not like news news and more just like... They're news, but they're kind of just fun things to bring up, too. But this is kind of a little bit of both. Uh, they're putting out an animated adaptation of Death in the Family. Kind of like what Netflix has tried with Bandersnatch. And uh, I think there was something else that did this. It's kind of an animated choose-your-own-adventure, which means that once again, you'll be able to choose whether Jason Todd lives or dies. I don't know how to feel about this, but that is really interesting. And apparently the story is going to be pretty heavily modified so that it will work as a prequel to Under the Red Hood. I, part of me was like, why do we need this? We already have Under the Red Hood, which showed that. Um, Death in the Family actually is a book that works pretty well in its own right if you take a few things into account. Uh, it was written by Jim Starlin, who is best known for creating Thanos. 
and mm. also mm-hmm. the KG Beast, but <laughs> no one fucking <laughs> cares about the KG Beast. Uh, I kind of care about KG. I do too, but only because <laughs> Gunhand is super dumb. But he did a much more political Batman, but it was the 80s. Mm. So it's kind of weird. The Iran-Contra affair had just gone, so Iran was like directly villainous in the Cold only the way that the Cold War can be, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, American, American worldview. So Iran makes the Joker the ambassador to the UN so he can try and oh, kill them right. all. That's that and it's horrifically line. problematic. Yep, yep. But up until that point, it's a really good story. And even that part has some really interesting bits of watching Batman just falling apart. He is just useless to the world. He's so full of rage. And he breaks his hand trying to punch Superman. Superman's like, I rolled my... Like, if I hadn't rolled with that, you would have just shattered your hand. What is wrong? You're you're Bruce Wayne. You know better than to do this. But this is a Batman that does not know better because he is just useless to the world right now. I mean, shattering your hand on Superman is better than strapping the Flash to the hood of the Batmobile. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's take a quick break before we talk about... Oh, I got a couple oh, more things oh, I'm real sorry, quick. I'm sorry, I thought that was it. These will be quick, though. No and they're quick just, Yeah. These will be Only quick, and they're kind of fun, but I, I needed to comment on these. Um, and this is actually fucking astounding. Uh, the nominees for the Emmys are out. Okay. Watchmen has 26 nominations across 19 categories. Holy shit. That is... So many nominations. I mean, that was what, Damon, Damon Lindelof? Lindelof, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. He is kind of Emmy bait. Well, it's astounding. I have watched it. And it I, I believe you. I've heard nothing but good things, but it's... Uh... Um, along with that, The Mandalorian has got nominations across 13 different categories. Yeah, it deserves it. The um, weak thing about The Mandalorian is the story writing is really good, but the plot is not deep. Uh, including outstanding visual effects, so that's kind of giving an, uh, an Emmy nod to Baby Yoda. Have you ever watched, not just Baby Yoda, have you ever watched the behind the scenes stuff? Oh, it's, it's insane. It's just a fucking VR dome. Yeah. They created a holodeck, basically. It's amazing. It should not work, and it works so good. I mean, they're probably going to win that one. Yes! And they, I'm they sorry, Watchmen, it. you looked really gorgeous, but you don't get that one. That's two sci-fi genre across the board just... Sweeping. And not long ago, it was basically impossible for sci-fi to win an award. Any award. And Watchmen never should have worked. No. The sequel to Alan Moore's seminal but kind of problematic comic book from the 80s? It should not have worked. It is one of the most amazing things I've ever beheld. Well, and I was like, oh, Jeremy Irons is in it, but that doesn't actually say good or bad. Jeremy Irons will kill it in really terrible movies because they paid him. <laughs> oh, like, he gave yes. his all to Aragon, and Aragon did not deserve that. He's like no. John Malkovich in that respect, who also gave his all to Aragon, which Aragon did not deserve. Dude, I'll... Throwing shade at a 15-year-old movie there. I just watched Stalin Skarsgård do the same thing last night. What'd you watch? Uh, Exorcist the Beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they did not deserve his performance. 
<laughs> I love those actors. The British actors that they're like, we'll give you American movie money to do this. And they're like, sure, sign me up. I can do whatever weird, funny British thing I want for the next, like, 15 years because of this. All right, so that's astounding. I hope they fucking clean house. Do it. Both of those properties. Um, this one is fun, and it's astounding. Did you hear that they put out the list of the top 10 most pirated properties of the past year? I know they do it, but I didn't know what they... All right, we'll go through this. Number, Number 10, 10 <laughs> Harley Quinn. Doesn't surprise me. Nine, right. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, doesn't surprise me, but actually I've been kind of tempted to check out the final season because they're time traveling and I'm a sucker for post-World War II. Eight, The Flash. Again... Well, so there's there's at least two of them on here that is, there's a really, I think, a really easy explanation for. Uh, seven is The Mandalorian, which, of course, because... you don't have Disney Plus, you're fucking... Right. Uh, six is The 100, which is another CW show. A lot of the CW shows don't air till quite a bit later in different places overseas. Mm -hmm. Like, I think up to a month later in some countries. And so they're not putting up with that shit. Yeah, they're getting it right after we get it. That makes sense. Five, SpongeBob SquarePants. Didn't that end <laughs> and the dude died? Yeah. Years ago? I don't know why I'm, like, sounding mad about this. I don't like SpongeBob, but what? I'm not surprised, actually. Stoners love SpongeBob, and stoners love Torrance. Yeah. that That's true. Those two. That, <laughs> four, The Walking Dead. It's been a rather big phenomenon. I understand that. Uh, that fair, one's easy. But it's... Fine. It's a well-made comic, and I'm told it's a well-made TV show. Uh, three, My Hero Academia. Does not surprise me. It's a bitch to get up, like, new release anime in America. Uh, two, Rick and Morty. Same. It's Adult Swim. Stoners love cartoons and torrents. And number one, Game of Thrones? Really? You know, I saw this meme being like, you know how bad the final season of Game of Thrones was when we're not seeing a bunch of calls to binge the series during quarantine? But it sounds like everyone's just, like, shame-binging the series and not wanting to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Game of Thrones. Again, I stopped watching years ago, so I don't have opinions on the final seasons. I think people are probably overly mean. Whether it deserves it, like, whether it's good or not, people are really mean about Game of Thrones and those actors don't I I lurk on a few of the different reddits a lot of the even the toxic fans are actually been pretty cool to the actors past That's at, good. after like there was a little bit of shittiness like while that season was going but afterwards like everyone's when they realized what sort of fell apart about that last season all the ire is towards the showrunners mm. which it sounds like that was fair I think it is I think Game of Thrones was bigger than those two were ready for. Because no one is ready for something as big as Game of Thrones got, like, immediately. Yeah. Well, that'll be a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have feelings. <laughs> uh, so this is, the, this is the funniest fucking thing I've heard in this fucking past week. Yep. There's a new Blu-ray release coming out of Back to the Future. That in the in the extras include uh, some of the 
never before seen auditions of other people that audition for some of the roles. Oh, that'll we, probably be really uncomfortable to watch because audition tapes are terrible. But. Including uh, Ben Stiller, Kira Sedgwick, John Cryer, uh, Peter DeLuise, uh, C. Thomas Howell, and Billy Zane, who did end up with a part in the movie, just not the part he tried out for. Billy Zane play? I think he's like a rando kid. Billy Zane is one of those actors that I actually really like him, even though he's not great. But there's just something about him that I'm like, I, I think you're a good dude. So here's the fun part. Upon all, you know, this coming out and the special features and people talking about it, uh, it got John Cryer and Ben Stiller to reminiscing about their auditions. Oh, no. John oh, yes, but... Oh. John Cryer has a very vivid, vivid memory of the, the auditions. Here are his memories. It opened with Marty McFly playing the Close Encounters theme on his electric guitar while he pirated a VHS cassette of the movie. And the time machine wasn't a DeLorean that had to travel at 88 miles per hour and have 1.21 gigawatts of power, but just, well, a time machine that needed n nuclear fission and a secret ingredient that turned out to be Coca-Cola. The final sequence didn't involve a clock tower or a lightning bolt, but instead finds Marty sneaking onto an atom bomb test site with his time machine to be near the nuclear fission that he needs for it to work. In an eerie scene, he finds that the test site is complete with an exquisitely detailed suburban houses and mannequins to simulate the effects of an atomic explosion on an American town. He gets the time machine in place. The atom bomb is about to go off. He's reaching for the Coca-Cola. The countdown is at 10:98 when he slips and drops the bottle. It shatters on the ground. He's all out of Coke. He panics, understandably, but then remembers he's in the 1950s and any self-respecting American suburban home has a bottle of Coke in the refrigerator. He checks and sure enough, there's one in there. He pours it in the time machine and then realizes, oh crap, he has to figure out how to survive an atomic explosion. Does he climb in a fridge? Again, Does he Jones it years early? Again, he panics, but then it dawns on him. There's a lead-lined box nearby, otherwise known as a refrigerator. He climbs in, closes the door behind him, the bomb goes off, the time machine activates, and he's simultaneously shot back to the future. He crystal skulls at 20 years early. That sounds really bad, and I'm glad they went with what they went with. Yeah. Also, Ben Stiller would not have worked. No, that was Sorry, the thing. Ben, like, it's not your fault. After Cryer also points out, he's like, yeah, if that sounds familiar, then fucking Crystal Skull. He apparently recycled. He loved the scene so much, he recycled it so many years later. Stiller was like, I wish I had any memories at all of the audition, but I do remember tanking my last call back to my cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> Which also I had no idea he tried out for my cousin Vinny, and it makes me wonder about Ben Stiller and Ralph Macchio's place. I don't, I don't know. I'm... Anyway, holy shit, Crystal Skull. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> right? I I feel the same way. But that just entertained me to no end. We almost had Back to the Crystal Skull. All right. On that note, we're going to take a short break. Yeah, yeah. And then come back to Dark Knight's Metal. So story is here that Scott Snyder had been given his book. We're going to be doing Dark Knight's Metal. 
I gotta ask Greg Capullo, who's been his like buddy and working on this, and he's not sure Capullo's gonna be in to do this. They had just done a really long run together. It was like five years. And he's, he's like prepping for it. And he goes, the name is gonna be Dark Knight's Metal. Capullo just goes, I'm in. Yep. <laughs> that sounds a lot like Capullo. And that's, I mean, Snyder tells the story in his intro. So Dark Knight's Metal is not the most recent because now it's Dark Knight's Death Metal. The sequel to Dark Knight's Metal is just coming out. I think the second or third issue came out like this week. Mm-hmm. So we thought we would look back at it. It is one of the most recent big crossovers the DC has done, much in the same vein as Crisis on Infinite Earths was back in 1985. We thought we had a bit of trouble deciding how we were going to go talk about this series. It's fucking dense. This could be four hours long. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do that to no. you. We're not going to do that to us. So, for I mean, first, let's set up who are Scott Snyder, who are Greg Capullo. Who are Scott Snyder? That's right. That's the sentence you're saying with <laughs> That's this. You're what going I'm with saying that? Right okay, now. yep. I'm going with that right now. Scott Snyder, our writer, uh, <laughs> he first appeared on the comic book, not on the comic book, on the writing scene, releasing some of his own work around 2006 or seven. It was a collection of hor- uh, horror short stories. Stephen King picked two of them of his, like, favorite ten horror short stories of the year, which is apparently a thing Stephen King does. Uh, it kind of rocketed him into fame. He might have done stuff before this. This is what Wikipedia tells me he did. He did some work for Marvel. He did Iron Man Noir. Much You know, Spider-Man Noir was in Spider-Verse. They did right. Iron Man, Daredevil, X-Men. All of them were good except for X-Men, which was just dog shit. Iron Man Noir <laughs> was probably the best one this side of Spider-Man Noir. It mm. was a lot of fun. Um, and then he does uh, got hired on it. DC, where he did a couple of Batman books, and just when his name was starting to come to attention, he's given the main Batman book for the new 52 relaunch. I'm going to jump over to Greg Capullo here, and we're going to lead them up to both the new 52 relaunch. Greg Capullo had been working in comics longer. If he had started, I think, like five years before, I think he would have been an image founder. I, you know what, That, that would make sense. He... Especially his style, with who his he cool, with, his tough guy things. <laughs> he had done a few small books. He gets a short appearance on Quasar, which I've read. Quasar is one of my favorite books of the 1990s. He uh, takes over X-Force from Rob Liefeld when Liefeld leaves to form Image. And it is X-Force's golden age. X-Force, I mean, it's real 90s. It's, a, it's Fabian Aceza and Greg Capullo. But X-Force was never as fun and as pretty as it was when those two were working together. Because it was all the fun things of the 90s with an artist that knew how to draw. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not sorry, Rob Lyle. <laughs> uh, Todd McFarlane, who is created Spawn, was one of the creators of Venom, yada, 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 is reading his work in X-Force and he's like, this guy is good. And I don't want to keep drawing Spawn because I'm kind of lazy and I'm Todd McFarlane and I'm getting so many money deals and toy deals and all the deals at that time Uh, whatever mixed opinions i have about todd mcfarlane he knew how to monetize his work that in some cases kept image going and i really love image so i can't be too mad at todd mcfarlane (laughs) and he becomes the writer or not the writer he becomes the artist for spawn he is he's actually artist for spawn more than he's credited yes 
and he's recently done work for Spawn still. Mm -hmm. He loves to go back to Spawn. He also did work on Angela. He created his own character, the Creech. Spawn is his baby. He also did a Haunt with, or no, he did the layouts for Haunt with Robert Kirkman. It was Kirkman wrote it. Capullo did layouts. Ryan Otley, who had done Invincible with Kirkman, did covers and not covers, uh, finishes, and then Todd McFarlane inked it. Like that is, the book was only okay, but that is an all-star creative team. And then I was actually following Greg Capullo on DeviantArt to really age ourselves, show my age here, uh, around 2010, 2011, and he started putting out a bunch of Batman artwork. And I was like, fuck, this guy would be amazing on Batman. And then the new 52 launches and they announced the creative team, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. All right, so now with the new 52 as a jumping off point, how does this fit into what's going on with DC before this story starts? Real quick on what New 52 was, New 52 was a relaunch of the entire DC line. We're going to erase all of DC history that came before this. We're going to streamline, we're going to bring in a couple of different universes. We're going to tie a lot of things more together than they were before, where DC is this huge, sprawling universe. And this, you know, this magic thing was completely unrelated to that magic thing. And those aliens were completely... A big part of DC was making it, so... It, it made it a lot easier to make movies of it, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. In the same way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe ties a lot of things that weren't tied to the Infinity Stones to the Infinity Stones, gems, whatever they're... Whichever you prefer... DC New 52 did the same thing. They also tried to go with grim and gritty and edgy, and a solid half of it was hot garbage. But there were some really amazing books in there, and easily the big breakaway book was Capullo and, Capullo and Snyder on Batman. I have not finished this run. I keep meaning to. Um, it's not my favorite Batman run, but Capullo is one of the all-time great Batman artists. He's... Neil Adams, good. He's Jim Lee, good. He, I was curious how you felt about Capullo's art, because I know that you're an art guy. It is... I want to call it clean, and I want to call it dirty at the same time, mm -hmm. and that's not... Grungy is the word I think I'm looking for. Mm. Capullo has beautiful detail, but it's not crazy in the weeds, every little bit crosshatch. He is really comfortable using a strong, thick line that not enough artists are. Because a really, like, strong, thick, detailed line is... It lets you get your comics out faster. Jim Lee is one of my favorite artists, but he is such tiny, minute detail that he can't release a book on time to save his life. Capullo can release a book on time, and his art is almost as beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's a little edgelord for me sometimes. They had the Joker cut off his own face and then wear it as a mask, which is such a stupid sentence to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I did enjoy the story. Mm -hmm. They were they turned Batman into a horror book, which I'm back and forth on. But it's very well done. They brought in the Court of Owls, which is amazing. It's Court of Owls is brilliant, fucking great. It super well received too, which was it hit the ground running. Some of my favorite Snyder stories are actually from before this because he did Black Mirror, which oh, I've recommended yeah. before. And he did a series called Gates of Gotham that was a lot of fun. But he made Batman his own from the first issue. It is 
gorgeous every issue along the way. Even when there's missteps, it was brave missteps. Uh, he made the choice, and I did not like this choice, of he released a story that implied that Mr. Freeze wasn't actually trying to fix his wife, like it was told, that he found someone that had been uh, in cryogenic freeze mm. for decades and became obsessed with her and decided that this was his wife after he had a psychotic break. It wasn't a good story, but if it had worked, it would have been like the... Even if even if it didn't work, it was still the most interesting choice they'd made on Mr. Freeze in... Since Heart of Ice? Yes, in decades. It was bad. I'm sorry, it was bad. <laughs> um, but Snyder kind of got tied to this really, like, dark edge lord, grim and gritty well, that the New 52 does. And I wanted to... There's something about... The New 52, part of the reason why it didn't work well is from an interview that I, I listened to with Snyder and Capullo, it sounds like every creative team was given free reign to decide what was previous, from the previous DC canon, what was canon for them. And that was super confusing too when there's like seven Batman books. Right. And so... And Grant Morrison's in charge. So some characters... <laughs> We're basically starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is year one that this character's been around. Other characters, like Snyder and Capullo's Batman, it was assumed that all of the big Batman stories that we're familiar with had happened. Unfortunately, other events in like the big, like different Justice League titles meant that all of that had to have happened in five years. They tried to expand <laughs> it out to 10 years. Even then it didn't work. Yeah, in theory, four Robins in five years. Yeah. They were like, it's kind of like an internship program to becoming your own hero. And I'm like, nope, that's just as bad. Like, it just doesn't give any character the time to have the connection. It also, and this does tie into Dark Knight's Metal, I promise, guys. The New 52 ate up all of the weird flavor that makes DC as wonderful as it fucking is. DC can do dark and grim and awesome well. I mean, Batman exists. They proved they can do it. But they felt the need to make almost every book Batman. As opposed to the strange, funny stuff. You know, Ambush Bug would not have worked in the New 52. Plastic Man would not have worked. And they didn't even try. They just didn't use these fun characters. The weird, kitschy, Silver Age, feel-good adventurer stories that DC is so good at, they didn't do. And part of this was, and I don't remember his name, one of the top guys at DC was a big Marvel guy in the 90s. So he's like, these are the books that sold like hotcakes. And they were a whole bunch of grim and gritty 90s nonsense. Some of them pretty good, but, you know, X-Force is a bunch of nonsense, no matter how much fun I have reading it. So a lot of these books weren't allowed to have fun. And actually, before we dive into metal, I'm going to segue into one more thing because there's one other important thing you need to know about where DC was before we talk about metal, which is DC Rebirth. Right. It had come out just shortly before. It was another line-wide line relaunch, but it wasn't a reboot in the same way that the New 52 was. It's kind of confusing because they were like, let's take what worked of the New 52 and let's take some of what we were missing from before and kind of bring them together. Because the mm -hmm. New 52 wasn't originally supposed to be a total relaunch. 
it was originally supposed to be a retelling of how the Justice League came together. And then Dan Didio, for good or ill, went, let's do it with everything. And everyone went, wait, what? No. <laughs> uh, Rebirth was bringing in a lot of, some of the fun, some of the heart. Superman was allowed to be married to Lois Lane again. Mm -hmm. It made it even more confusing about what was and was not canon, though. Green Arrow got his uh, his uh, good, beard good. back yeah. and got to be back with Black Canary, and suddenly Green Arrow was worth reading for the first time in like 10 years, almost 10 years. And it was really confusing what was what, of what was canon and what wasn't, even more than in the New 52, because they were, were bringing some stuff back. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because Dark Knight Metal leans into that really hard and brings a bunch of shit back and also makes it even more confusing than it was before. But I don't care. But also kind of fixes a lot. <laughs> yes. DC was like, we need to fix our continuity. And they launched like five different books to fix it. And unfortunately, a lot of those books contradicted each other and made it more confusing. I still don't know what the fuck is going on with Doomsday Clock, the Watchmen oh, yeah. crossover. Um, we'll figure it out for an episode. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll read that for an episode. There's a lot of conflicting feelings about that one. We'll save it for then. But even throughout the entire DC run, when a lot of books died, Capullo and Snyder, Snyder and Capullo, just ran one of the all-time greatest, whether it's my favorite or not, one of the all-time greatest Batman runs. It was 51 consecutive issues, almost every issue drawn by Greg Capullo, all basically telling one big story, even with its weird little story arcs. And stuff, mm -hmm. Leading up to this event. Which is batshit. Which is batshit insane. Hey! <laughs> oh, God, that's terrible and I hate you. All right. We're not going to do a plot-by-plot plot retelling of this, because that's boring for you, it's boring for us, and it sounds stupid when we say it, no matter how much fun it is. I'm going to call a lot of things stupid. It does not mean I did not enjoy every second of this comic book. And from, yeah. And from here on out, I, I think we'll ramp into them, so even the beginning parts of this are probably safe, but at some point we have to start talking spoilers. Spoiler, spoil. This book came out in 2017. I do want people to read it, even if they haven't yet. And we're not going to go too deep in the weeds and spoilers. We're not going to be like, as I said, we're not doing a like beat by beat happening. No. But we're going to talk about weird shit that happens in it. And we're not going to shy away from the overall implications of it. Yes. You have been warned. Fuck. So f wait, so first off, I'm curious, because we, we just said metal. What what did you read? What have you read before of all of it and the tie-ins? Shockingly little. Okay. And like, what did you, did you also, just, just read the main six? just we're talking six? about the name, I kept expecting it to be Knights, like the Dark Knight. Yeah. A-N-I-G-H-D, but it's just Knight, like it's Knight. Knight. I... I read a lot of stuff the Dark Knight's metal steals from that I didn't expect. Mm. It uses major elements of Final Crisis. No one likes to talk about Final Crisis. I hated Final Crisis, and it made me almost rebuy it. I had to, like, stop myself being like, I got rid of my super nice copy because I hated this book. Like, think twice before buying it again, Zach. <laughs> I might still again though because I want to give it's Graham Morrison yeah it also leans heavily into multiversity which was great but no one fucking mentioned it so I read a bunch of you know 
Final Crisis, Batman R.I.P., stuff that comes up. I have read not a single side series of this. Okay. Um, I have meant to. If you already like this, all of the tie-ins make it like twice as good. They have a lot of really good creative talent. Steven Sepchik? I don't know his name. He's like, uh, he was becoming real big for DC before being like, man, I make so much more money making my own like webcomic. I'm going back to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. He does a sweet one where Nightwing is wearing like armor that I want to make. Yeah, so. Just like straight. Because the first time I read this, I only read the six main mm -hmm. Snyder Capullo episodes, which are very disjointed. Yes, they are. I was going to critique that. Um, oh, and I have read a couple of the things that spun out of this. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, um, This time through, I read it on the DC Universe app, which automatically puts in most of the tie-ins. I didn't realize till afterwards it didn't put in all of the tie-ins, so I still haven't read any of the Resistance, which I think is a lot of, like, the Nightwing and the Sweet Armor. Yes, it also, I was hoping you'd be able to explain why Robin's mask now looks like something out of the Court of Owls... In the middle of that. No. But no. No, but I just I, missed the one important one. But I did read, and I didn't read any of the Bats Out of Hell, because they also didn't put those in there. But I have read all of the 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 actual tie-ins for the, for the Dark Knights. Oh, okay. Which... I've read about those. They weirdly flow with the series to connect those books parts and it make, makes it make a lot more sense this does bring up as i said i i'm gonna call things stupid but i love the whole thing i do have one legitimate critique of the the series alone i read it i followed it it was fine but there were things that obviously happened that were important to the story that were missing and they happen in those or they're explained at least in that those. i wish we had had a bit more of and I get the crossover things are a thing and that every series kind of has this. But for example, Secret Invasion or Infinite Crisis or Crisis on Infinite Earths, you can read that series, those series, without reading a single side thing. And you know you're missing stuff and good stories, but you don't feel like you're missing about 15% of the like major story arc. And maybe it works to have it because that gives those side stories more oomph. Mm -hmm. But when I was just reading it, I was clearly missing things. Yeah. So that was my feeling the first time through, too. I was like, I... So that was cool, and I can follow it, but what the... I'm There's obviously giant chunks make, like mm -hmm. taken out of this. The Dark Knight stuff fills in most of those. I don't. I still don't know what I'm missing though with the resistance and bats out of hell. Well, and resistance covers a whole lot of. There's a time skip that we will get to in just a moment, and uh, not seeing any of that time skip hurt. But before we get to there, let's get the very basics of this down because it does. The early part does bring some things I want to talk about. After a fight with an alien warlord named Mongol, who's an important Justice League villain, but not important to the story, so we're just gonna kind of rocket past that they go back to earth and in the middle of gotham challenger mountain appears Chal a, a, a big fucking mountain challenger mountain it, the moment they said it was that i was like oh my god yes challenger mountain is super important in the dc universe before new 52 but we don't know much about it 
The Challengers of the Unknown were a prototype Fantastic Four, basically, that Jack Kirby created before the Silver Age of Comics in that, like, weird gap period. Mm -hmm. There are four adventurers, five adventurers, a couple of adventurers that should have died in a plane crash, but they didn't. And they're like, well, we're still alive, so let's do fun stuff together, I guess. DC The New Frontier, Challenger of the Unknown, is one of the high points of the greatest DC story ever told. And that's weird to say, because the Challengers, no one gives them a bunch of credit. Um, but their mountain has been repeatedly used as a headquarters for multiple super teams. The Doom Patrol, the Justice League, the Challengers. I think Young Justice at one point hangs out there. The Metal Men, I believe, have hung out there. It's one of those that it's, it's a landmark. So bringing that in automatically brought in really powerful, like, oh, this matters. And this doesn't just matter in New 52 way. This matters in the old universe. And I guess that's a good time to point out. You guys should f follow us on social media because I posted about this. And you pointed out that this book is basically my personality come to life. Yeah. I love this book because it's the type of story that can only be told when you have 40 plus years of history behind some of these characters and an author that's obviously a fan. And that's what I think I liked most about this is I didn't know that Snyder was a fan of the weird flavor of the DC universe, but he so clearly is. Almost immediately we see the Red Tornado. Red Tornado is one of my favorite Justice Leaguers. He should not be. He's not a great character. He's a robot with a wind elemental inside him. <laughs> That's it. That's his whole fucking deal. And they kind of don't talk about the... He's basically a robot with wind powers. They're like, why? They're like, I don't know. Because airbenders are cool. <laughs> he has the blue... No, he doesn't. He has, he has a, a yellow, yellow. Uh, triangle <laughs> on his head. Because in high school, I made a character that was a complete ripoff of Red Tornado. Everyone's like, oh, that's a ripoff of Aang. And I'm like, who the fuck is Aang? I didn't see Avatar for another like two years. Avatar's great. We've covered that. That did super bring in my confusion of what the hell counts as continuity. Because Tornado, Reddy, as the league called him, is a like, long-standing member of the Justice League in good standing. So bringing him back meant, holy shit. I mean, that was original Red Tornado. That's original mm -hmm. design and everything. But I'm even more confused about what does and doesn't count in the league than I was before. <laughs> we also immediately meet Hawkgirl, who hasn't been used in a long time, and I think Hawkgirl's better than Hawkman most of the time. For my money, as weird and confusing as this fucking story can be at times, this is the best use of the convoluted story of the fucking Hawk people that I have ever fucking seen. The Hawk people story, Hawkman and Hawk Girl, is absolute bullshit. It's so terrible. It's and never I made love sense. the characters. Originally, they were the reincarnations of alien, of, uh, of ancient Egyptians. Then they were space cop aliens. And then they were both. And then... All the different versions of Hawkman, like, merged into one Hawk God or something. <laughs> and then they did this great series called um, Hawkman Thanagar Lives or something like that. It, it, it was supposed to be an origin story of Hawkman from the creators of Grimjack. Mm. But then they decided to make it an ongoing series taking place in the modern day. But then it made absolutely no sense anymore. 
because it was suddenly this new origin of Hawkman, but suddenly it was happening. It was the same thing, New 52. And none of it makes sense, but it does make Hawkman matter, which he had not mattered in a long, long time. Well, and really, the, the main thread of the story is centered around Carter Hall's journal. They make Carter Hall this great detective who had been discovering these things from the ancient past. They make Hawkgirl matter again. And, like, she had gotten rid of her wings. She was no longer Hawkgirl because of various things. When she gets her wings back, it's cool. Yeah. And mm. Hawkgirl is another one that at first I was like, she doesn't matter too much, but the Justice League cartoon made her matter. And bringing her back to prominence is important. She's a strong female character in her own right that DC lost when they rebooted the world with the new 52. And then they bring in Mr. Terrific and they bring in Plastic Man. And at this point, I'm just listing off all the C-level characters that I fucking adore. And clearly Scott Snyder does too. All right. So this is the part where we're definitely going to have to start getting a little bit spoilery because... If we're going to talk about any element of this, we have to kind of make sense of what's going on. So here's kind of the breakdown of the plot, or at least a part of it. Maybe not quite the finale yet, but... So what's been going on is... Jesus Christ. So you know just, there's... Just get through it. Yep. <laughs> so there's... Are we doing the, the medals, or are we... I'm trying to decide where to start. Okay. Let me give this a crack. So well, Batman has been being anointed. <laughs> literally, yes. There are these weird medals. Nth medal is one that's commonly used. It's a Hawkman thing that Snyder decided was ninth medal. And when you combine these 10 different medals together, you basically create a... I'm going to skip some of the details of some of it because it's dumb, but th there's a way to create a door to what is called the dark multiverse. So there's matter and antimatter that we normally think of, right? And we're we're used to this especially because of the monitor and anti-monitor mm -hmm. because there are definite parallels throughout the story to multiple I mean they pull things from Final Crisis. The actual story there's beats that are almost like modeled and occur at the same timing as things that happen in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes. But then there's dark matter. Dark matter is most of the universe, and mo you know it, we don't know much about it still. So there's underneath the multiverse as we know it in DC, there's a dark multiverse of these infinite number of universes that are blinking in and out of existence that are based on all of mankind's uh, deepest fears. Lots of worst impulses. They are uh, young Avengers at Marvel a few years before this had done the same thing. These kind of like broken multiverses, uh, Marvel zombies or stuff like that. Like every worse, everything goes wrong. These are the universes. Of and these, and they're not even permanent universes like the 52 that are above. Like they don't have an ongoing timeline. They pop in and out of existences, but they're full on universes that have their own internal timelines during that time. It's they're, really weird to think of. They're weird standalone stories given like a multiverse. One thing DC had done was they had made... There are 52 specific multiverses. Or alternate realities mm -hmm. in the multiverse. And they made a map, and it was really interesting. And it was super fucking limiting. And no one believed for a second they were only going to tell stories in these specific universes. 
the moment they made a side story that doesn't fit that, it's broken. All right, so now in Earth Prime, which we normally think of, currently, I think. It, it's where DC's going on, yes. It's where, yeah, it's where the story we care about is going on. <laughs> there at one point was Bird Tribe, Wolf Tribe, Bear Tribe. Oh, no, well, it was... Yeah, Bird, Bird, Wolf, wolf Bear, bear bat. and Bat Tribe. The, there's a demon bat god that resides in the dark multiverse. Barbados. Who first appeared in The Return of Bruce Wayne and made no sense there. They actually made Barbados make sense, and I appreciate that. So when <laughs> when Batman <laughs> was hit by fucking... We swear it's good, guys! <laughs> Darkseid's <laughs> Omega Sanction... <laughs> To the head, and it sent him back in time with amnesia, and he was a fucking Stone Age man for a while. He showed up, and Barbados took notice of him because he was using the same emblem. He was also the bat. So as told in one of the issues of this, the idea is that Barbados, at that point, with his followers, molded them towards eventually finding the bat that was sent back in time uh, to the point where he molded events in Bruce Wayne's life, including being the bat that crashed into his window. Mm -hmm. His followers in different forms and at different times have made sure throughout his life that Batman has encountered uh, five or four, was it five, and they needed the sixth or four and needed the fifth. I can't remember. Something like that metals that would mantle him to make him into a gate into the dark multiverse that would essentially switch places with him and Barbados. So this is kind of where I texted Tyler being like, if we just try to tell this beat by page, it's going to be terrible. Because I was reading the page where Batman holds up a baby dark side <laughs> saying, I'm going to use him to go back in time to kill the evil Bat God to stop the dark multiverse from rising. And I was like, that's the dumbest sentence I've ever read that I want to see every moment of. Um, it's like if Mortal Kombat was a DC comic book series. Turns out during Scott Snyder's entire run, Batman's been running into these different metals and they look back on it and shit. And it's actually pretty neat. Obviously shit goes down. Here's the, so the thing is the big selling point for a lot of people and that they really focused in on with this series is that Barbados also brings over his Dark Knights. Barbados has been snatching the most evil dark versions of Batman from the dark multiverse and keeping them alive past the destruction of their own universes. To make a kind of like evil Batman Justice League. They're all Bruce Wayne. They're not like... The Flash with Batman powers. You know, that is also evil. Mm -hmm. It's all Bruce with Flash powers that's evil. Yeah, it's all... They're all stories of Bruce, in most cases, screwing over a member of the Justice League, taking their shit. We're going to go through these. They're fun. What was your... So before we get into them, what was your favorite? What was your least favorite? I liked the Wonder Woman one, uh, who had a bunch of, like, Greek god shit. The Merciless. The Merciless. Batman Who Laughs or Green Lantern one I thought were the weakest ones. And Batman Who Laughs is probably the biggest one of them. Let's actually save him for last. Okay. Let's let's go through them first, and then we'll. I, I want to ask you your same of your favorite. So there's Red Death. 
Red Death is Flash, evil Flash Batman. Yes. That Bruce Wayne cracked after losing every single one of his Robins. At that point, he studies the cosmic treadmill, harnesses the technology in the Batmobile, uh, straps, uh, knocks out Flash, straps him to the hood of the Batmobile, goes 88 miles per hour with 1.21 gigawatts, basically, and enters the speed force. Enters the speed force, steals the speed force into himself, is kind of in a uh, fucking like Flash is still stuck in there, uh-huh. and is constantly being like, "What the fuck are you doing? Stop being an evil asshole." <laughs> The most interesting thing about Red Death is his costume is fire. Not like actual fire. It's just his costume is awesome. I love his costume. He himself, Evil Flash, is never that interesting to me because Evil Flash should be impossible. Like, he should just fucking wreck everything. Mm -hmm. If Flash decided to go for murder, it'd be impossible to stop him with how powerful Flash is. So, uh... They were just kind of stuck not being able to do much with him. It's a danger of using the Flash. Um, Spoiler, he does have a, like, a redemption moment. But the neat thing I found was, especially going through it the second time, I realized that he has his moment and it doesn't fucking matter. In the exact same almost timing-wise as it happens, his real moment that he shines in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, he, as I said, his costume is great. His costume is probably one of the best of all of those. Got Murder Machine. Murder Machine is evil cyborg Batman, <laughs> who his Alfred got killed. And he does not handle it well. So he gets Cyborg to help him build an AI version of Alfred that he had already, well, he had already started working on. It fucks up. It's a virus. It has a bunch of these like little like Alfred nanobots that just straight up murder everything that feels like it could be a danger to Bruce sort of takes him over. Well, one of the things here is the new 52 version of cyborg was created by being merged with a mother box. Mm-hmm. The mother box is something from Jack Kirby's fourth world. So dark side and stuff. It is amongst other things, a transporter, but it's also this insanely capable sentient supercomputer. So, you mix weird Alfred virus with the mother box with Bruce Wayne, and you have the Borg on steroids. Pretty much. (laughs) But dumber. But But great. (laughs) (laughs) I will not stop calling the series dumb. I will not stop recommending the series at the same time. It's Devastator. Superman 1. Yeah, well, Doomsday. Doomsday 1. Yeah, because you couldn't mix him with Superman, so make him Doomsday. It's... Another classic go-to of we need to make an evil Superman, but not. There had been a story called the, the Doomsday Virus or something like that. Yep. That is everything it sounds like. It's a version of Doomsday that, or it's a virus that turns people into Doomsdays, I guess. Doomsday being big, bony looking motherfucker who killed Superman in the death of Superman. Batman meets the doomsday thing it's honestly in some ways the most threatening in some ways the least threatening batman of this bunch Mm -hmm. because on one hand doomsday is always a threat no matter what doomsday is a threat you mix him with jimmy olsen and he's intimidating like and jimmy is the least intimidating human on planet earth but 
the moment you make a hulked out Batman, you kill what makes Batman so so dangerous. Um, yeah. Also, um, as far as the actual spin-off story goes, this one wasn't this one was a Superman flips out. And Batman actually tries to hold back for as long as he can, but he real. But after Clark kills Lois, he's like, "I can't. I probably can't stop you, but I have to be able to make it so that nobody else can die to from you." And after he gets his arm cut off, he's like, "All right, then, then it's on," and he slaps off a fucking even more virulent form of the Doomsday Virus so that he devastators out, but it also infects the rest of the Earth so that ultimately anybody could potentially stand up to Superman. Beautifully tragic story, evil Superman, not interesting to me in the slightest. Which is too bad, because Tom Taylor has told that story twice now, and it's supposed to be really good both times. Bryce Wayne. Aquaman one? Aquaman one. Uh, loses her love, Sylvester Kyle. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Way less good to name than Selena. Um, and then goes on a killing spree in, in retaliation after killing all of the metahumans on land, like Atlantis rises and Aquaman tries to come out and do shit. And so purposely does surgery on herself to be, to gain aqua powers and to be able to face Aquaman. I like the drowned. The drowned, I think has a pretty good appearance that story is not super strong. How are we going to make Batman also Aquaman also evil is a tough sell. I do not begrudge anyone that has to come up with that shit. And she also makes her own army of sea creatures that are also hybridized. Sure. Of course because, she does. yep. Why not? There's uh, Dawnbreaker, who's evil Green Lantern Batman. Probably the worst design as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Just a skinny bitch looking thing. That one is a Bruce Wayne that was so traumatized by, um, death of his parents, by the death of his parents that he lost all emotion, had only a will to avenge. So with maxed out will and no fear, a Green Lantern ring came to him. And... Batman's willpower was off the charts enough that he broke the codes behind it and was able to just start straight up slaughtering things and then like suck the life from all the other Green Lanterns when they showed up because he made, I don't know, some weird Green Lantern-y dark pact. Okay, so <laughs> Bruce Wayne with no emotions goes Emerald Dawn, Hal Jordan killing the Green Lantern Corp. Yep. Bruce. Weak, I'm sorry. We've seen other Green Lantern Batman. We've seen... Yellow Lantern Batman. I would have gone with a Yellow Lantern Batman instead, personally. I, and part of this is I saw some of the alternate designs they came up with, and they were better. Mm -hmm. So, and then... The knights are not my favorite part of this story, which is interesting because they are arguably the biggest sell of this story. Right. But, again, it's another case where I thought the idea of evil Batman was better than the result of Evil Batman. And in the ultimate depiction of that, let's get to the final one. We got two more. We got two more. Right, I'm sorry. We have the Merciless, who's the evil Ares Batman. Batman stealing a bunch of Greek god shit and going, like, hardcore on it. Again, not a story I'd seek out, but that's 
there's some quality to that. Um, that one is a Bruce that was with Diana. They go to attack Ares, who had just forged himself a new helmet that increased his power tenfold. She gets mortally wounded, but manages to knock off Ares' helmet, screams at Bruce, don't pick up the helmet. You, even Bruce though does, Bruce picks up the helmet. Uh, he manages to kill Ares with it. By the time you get to the end of the story, you find out that Wonder Woman didn't die from her mortal wound. She reached for it to try to take it off of him, and he killed her. Turns out, making someone as traumatized as Bruce Wayne, the god of war, ain't gonna go great for you. Or anyone. And then we have the last one, the Batman Who Laughs. Batman Who Laughs, I need to be nicer to, and I am aware that part of my frustration with him is just how weirdly, insanely popular he is. The Batman Who Laughs his name being based off the man who laughs being a major inspiration for the Joker is Jokerized Batman. I don't remember why he goes insane and becomes kind of jokery. I'm assuming Joker gas is involved. All right. So Joker has figured out that he's starting to gradually die because of the chemicals. Yeah. So he goes on one last spree. He goes and kills all of Batman's villains in Arkham. And causes chaos throughout the city, manages to, I mean, it's not uncommon for the Joker to actually at least knock Batman out for a small period. It's just he always ends up fucking shooting himself in the foot in some way. Yeah, he's the Joker. So he fucking manages to knock him out, paralyze him for a bit, and inject him with this slow-acting Joker venom. While he's paralyzed and it's slow-acting, he starts lining up a bunch of three-person families and executing the parents in front of the kids and then infecting the kids with Joker venom and just a line of them all down the block. A long-running thing of Scott Snyder is that Joker knows who Batman is and just doesn't care because Bruce Wayne is boring. Um, At that, you know, eventually Joker... I can't remember if Batman kills him or if he just dies because of he was dying anyway. Whatever, edgelord. And then, but then Batman's driven crazy by it all and having to watch all that kills the Bat family in his first act, paints the fucking thing on originally with some of their blood. Yeah, it's super 90s edgy. Greg Capullo's all about it. <laughs> so my favorite and least favorite now that we've gone through them all, uh-huh. my least favorite might be the Batman who laughs. He's super overused for how little he really does in the entire story and... He's treated as this, like, unbeatable god, too. Like, the mix of Batman and Joker is so dangerous. The thing I love most about him is his name. The Batman Who Laughs is an amazing name. name. I like his look, too. It doesn't make any sense, but he's got, like, this round metal disc around his eyes with spikes coming out. It sounds dumb. It looks pretty good. He's just overused. And he, he became a major aspect of DC and what Scott Snyder was doing with DC because he takes over Justice League after this book. Mm -hmm. And the Batman Who Laughs was a major part of that. He had his own miniseries going on that Snyder wrote. So even if I... Part of my frustration with him is admittedly because he's just fucking everywhere right now. And as we said, he's kind of weirdly OP. Yeah. um, I love how they one-up him too in the end on this. But uh, my favorite... I think it was... 
might be my favorite just because I felt it was by far the best written of the spinoffs is the the Merciless, uh, the Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, okay. It was by far the best written, in my opinion, of all the spinoffs. My favorite design, though, might be um, The Drowned. The Drowned is really good. Kind of lady Batman murder pirate thing going on there. Like, it's a weird combination of words, but it kind of works. And I love that it's like Sylvester Kyle. Yeah. And Don't I'm just name. like, love it. Oh my God. I love it so much. <laughs> Somebody had fun with that. Bring Fucking me like Sylvester is the Catman. Because cat there is a Catman, but like Catboy. Yeah. <laughs> Catboy, Sylvester Kyle. Oh my God. I need every issue of that. <laughs> I need it to be like 150 issues long and super dumb. All right. So now, just in general. What like what stood out to you that you fucking just super loved in it from any point in it? <laughs> As I said, the use of characters and concepts that don't get a whole lot of attention is fire. Bringing in Mr. Terrific, putting him with, one, having Batman treat Mr. Terrific as an equal. Batman never treats someone like an equal. There is legit respect because Terrific is as smart or smarter than Batman. And it's almost always, and he's a master strategist. No one can keep up with Batman on those two. Terrific can. Maybe not quite as good as strategist, but definitely smarter. Mm-hmm. So just seeing Terrific given the credit he's due. Seeing Plastic Man given the credit he's due. Plastic Batman has always weirdly liked Plastic Man, which he shouldn't because Plastic Man is this weird fucking goof. Who turns into balloons and shit. So I've always really liked that relationship between the two of them. And Plastic Man appeared in a single panel, like a picture of him in Mm. 52. And then other than that, they didn't use him. They didn't talk about Plastic Man for the most part. So bringing Plastic Man to a place of prominence was great. Because he was a member of the League in my all-time favorite Justice League run, which is Grant Morrison's run. So bringing back Plaz was really good. And then going to the Oblivion Bar, which is a bar where all the dark magic users, or, or all the magic users go hang out, and bringing in Detective Chimp and the Nightmaster? Dude, when DC stood for Detective Chimp, I was like, are you fucking kidding me, Scott Snyder? And you know why they were allowed to use Detective Chimp? I will tell you two words, exactly what it is that let them do it. Rocket Raccoon. When DC is looking at weird anthropomorphic raccoon with big guns and a tree buddy making millions of dollars. They're like, all right, you're super brilliant chimpanzee idea. We'll give it a shot. (laughs) And everyone who, I mean, that's literally what it is. Detective chimp drank from the spring of the fountain of life, the fountain of youth, and it made him immortal and a genius. And he could speak human and he gets involved with magic because why the fuck not? Yeah. Um, perfect so good i have zero critique of detective chip i wasn't i wasn't as keen on just the sudden oh by the way earth 53 that apparently has red sun batman dark knight returns batman uh gotham by gaslight batman and i think there was one other (laughs) bringing in all the big famous batman they love to do it i'm not a huge fan of it myself um as i said I like Batman a lot. It made me squee a little bit to see Red Sun Batman. It's exciting. He's got the fucking, like, comrade, like, Russia Mm -hmm. hat. It's hilarious. I like Batman a lot. I simultaneously think Batman is, like, the most overused character in DC. 
Which, for as Batman-centric as this story is, and the fact that the Dark Knights are all technically Bruce Wayne and Batman, there's actually very little... Batman. Batman from, like, episode... I mean, not episode, issue two till almost the end. It's a very Superman story, heavy story, because let's let's go to a world where evil Batman have wrecked everything. Another critique, he's gone for seven days and the world has completely changed. Costumes are different, all that. It was too much. Mm. And I get that it was supposed to be uh, like, holy shit, this was so over the top. But and maybe it'll change when I read the side books, but I just didn't believe it. It was just too much too fast. And then they reversed it real fast, too. And it just gave me whiplash. The the side books help the pacing. Thank God. The side books help. <laughs> because there there is like they in the back of every one of the books, they tell you what order to read everything in. That's like, good. And that's and that's it sounds like they did a pretty good job of that with side books, which they're usually not like mm-hmm. did this happen here or here is a major problem of side stories in these big event crossovers. I like seeing Nightmaster. I was pissed to see Nightmaster killed. I wanted Greg Capullo to do a Nightmaster series mm. based off that. Nightmaster is this like 70s garage band rock star that fucking finds his way into a magical world where he becomes like magic Conan hero. And then he comes back to run the Oblivion Bar. It's great. It's a wonderful fucking story. And I was sad to see him killed. And I'm not surprised because he was the least painful person for them to kill while still giving it stakes. Mm-hmm. Plus, then you get Detective Chimp as the owner of the Oblivion Bar. Yes, and I like Detective Chimp as the owner of the Oblivion Bar, but I don't like Detective Chimp as the Nightmaster. Fair. Uh, that made no sense to me. <laughs> and I read those. Those two also were did a book called Shadow Pact. Uh, it was an Infinite Crisis crossover book, side series book. That was, uh, like, the weird magic users that no one believed in forced to team up. It was, like, Blue Devil and Detective Chimp and uh, the, the Shade Girl. Um, oh, uh, Shade the Changing? No. Oh. Oh. Um, Shadow something. She was a Charlton character. Then DC never knew what to do with her. She was in the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, those characters. The Enchantress was mm-hmm. on that team. And I really liked that team. So seeing these two brought in, it's another point where Snyder was clearly like, I liked that. I want that in the fucking DC universe. I'm doing it. It's happening. I loved calling together all the immortals. That was a neat idea. And then Rachel Gould being like, I know I'm the new kid here. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that line makes me laugh out loud every time. Just The only thing that bummed me out about it is in the, in the fucking description box when they're saying like, Oh, you know, and it's obviously hinting at who's all there because most of the time you only see maybe a nose popping out of the shadow. Of the yeah, and you and see shit. Phantom Stranger in the background and for some reason everyone's listening to Vandal Savage, which everyone knows not to do. Yeah, but you have like Cain and Abel are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shining Knight are the, is there. But they hint, is there. they hint at uh, at least one of the members of the Parliament of Trees being there, but you never see anything that looks like a tree. Well, and the Parliament does come up briefly. The Council of Immortals is an interesting idea that DC has played with off and on throughout the years. Immortal Man is there. (laughs) Immortal Man is there. There was a spinoff series called Immortal Men. The idea comes up a lot, and I like the idea, but it's another one of, why do you people think this is a good idea? You routinely, 
routinely stop Vandal Savage from destroying the universe. But when it comes time to something else is destroying the universe, you're going to let him basically lead this group of immortals? What the shit, man? <laughs> like, get your shit together. Oh, man. Um, so it's, it's another one of those good ideas, but it brings in so many insanely powerful characters that you can't really do anything with them because if they decided to get off their butts and be involved, the story would be over. Yeah. So it's mostly them being like, we're going to destroy the universe or... We're going to do nothing and watch it die. Gentlemen, it's been an honor. We are the Council of Time Lords. Yes. They're the Time Lords slash the orchestra that plays while the Titanic sinks. Justice League Voltron. Was fun. It was a weird, goofy moment that did not get a bunch of time, and it didn't need a bunch of time. Unless it reappears later. Don't think so. I'll be 100% honest with you. I did not finish my reread of this. I still have like two issues left to go mm, mm-hmm. because I finally got off my ass on like Wednesday and was like, it's time to read this. And just series of unfortunate events through all of my reading time for the past like three days. Um, so there's some skimming at the end being like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I've read it. I've read it all before multiple times. I promise guys, just the like, let's remember the in- batshit insane. Hey, story. And didn't super work. Oh, so I can't remember, does, in that first issue, when we're talking just the main series, does Joker show up and then he doesn't show back up again till the last issue, or, or does he just show up in the last issue? He just shows up in the last issue. Okay, so We Reed, do see, like, weird Joker dragons, like, dragons with yeah. Joker faces circling Barbados at one point and stuff. So it, the two lead-ins, Dark Days the Forge and Dark Days the Casting... Joker is heavily involved. And it makes him showing back up... All, like feel a lot better like it pays off a lot more but ultimately that was the just the other really neat takeaway i kind of liked them just being like we have to accept that you're also technically bruce wayne so you can think of anything that bruce wayne would figure on but i bet something you never thought of in your universe is working with this guy so yes the way this is a spoiler but it was a cool moment and we're not going to tell you details the way they beat the batman who laughs finally is batman and the joker team up It's so over the top. It's, again, not my favorite point in this, because my favorite point are the weird side shit that I just Mm -hmm. ranted about. But it was a very well-done story beat, and it's most people's favorite moment in this series. I think I ended up liking it for a little bit different reason than most people. It reminded me, because I've been recently reading Doom Patrol, Mm -hmm. and in the Brotherhood of Dada... There's the one character who has every power you, you've you not thought of. Yeah. And it reminded me it's of that. It's the one thing you've not thought of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this leans so heavily from a bunch of Morrison anyway. Morrison, as we said, he did Final Crisis and Multiversity, which both leaned in heavily there. Clearly, Snyder is one of those people that grew up reading Grant Morrison. Or maybe not grew up. Probably, I would guess, like high school, college reading Grant Morrison. And it changed their lives, man. (laughs) And you know how I can recognize it? Because like smells like, and I am one of those fucking people. Um, Not going to get into how this series ends, because don't want to spoil it for you. But one thing that happens is in like all of these big crisis stories, even though this is called Dark Knight's Metal, they actually had to fight to not put crisis in the name. DC was like, it's a crisis. And they're like, no, no, stop. No, it's not doing it. <laughs> it's metal. 
I already promised Greg. Um, but because of that, things will never be the same, and things are slightly changed, and let's drop a few hints into future stories, and then DC... Actually, no. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before Metal, and then we'll talk about what happens next? Not that's jumping out super hard at me. I think I hit most of the points I really wanted to. There's a bunch of just off-the-fucking-wall shit that happens. Like, this would be hours upon hours if we were just going, like, issue by issue. Not doing it. Not doing it. That's not happening. Hawkman so. matters again. Hawkman's never mattered before in his life. Well, I, ha- I do have one more thing, I guess. But the thing that is, upon reread, really jumped out at me as I was able to focus in more on a lot of the statements that uh, especially the Trinity are all making to each other and how they evolve throughout the series and stuff. This is ultimately a story about learning to lean on your friends during dark times so that you can make it through the darkness together. Which Batman has to learn every three or four years, but it's a very well done. I'm not actually like delegitimizing your point here. It's... And I'm just like, oh, of course they make the Justice League after this. Yeah. I love the Trinity. They did a book shortly called Trinity together. Matt Wagner did a book called Trinity that's great. Probably one of my favorite DC stories of all time. So good. Uh, I mean, one, just I love Matt Wagner. But these three together really do balance themselves in amazing ways because they're all kind of... There's real parts of Wonder Woman that is half Batman, half Superman, but then also completely her own character that stands in her own right. They go on to form the Justice League after this. Bat- uh, Scott Snyder takes over Justice League, and they, he does what I will always appreciate him for. He puts Martian Manhunter back on the fucking League. Yeah. From the foundation of the Justice League until 2005. Manhunter had been in every single incarnation of the League. He was the heart and soul of the League that any time League hit its darkest hour, Manhunter was there. Any time everyone else fell apart and had to leave, Manhunter rebuilt it. Maybe with one or two of the other Big Seven. But since from 2005 to about 2017, Manhunter wasn't an important member of the League. He'd be on, like, a side League occasionally. But it's like Avengers West Coast. Big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. I love that book, but big fucking deal. Putting Manhunter back in a position of prominence is good. Because Manhunter's one of the greatest heroes DC's ever had. Thank you, Justice League. Yeah. Um, he made Justice League feel like it matters. Again, he brought the Big Seven back. He put in Hawkgirl and Cyborg, and they do great. Justice League Dark comes out of this. Yep, which is great as far as i've read so far oh, a lot i'm not caught up but um i've got three volumes i've read like a volume and a half and i keep being like fuck i need to go back to that right i need to get caught up because it has huge implications on the world of magic side of dc and, and detective chimp yeah one other thing because they break the source wall which is a really ill-defined thing at the edge of the multiverse or the edge of the universe or the edge of who knows mm-hmm and basically the laws of reality get changed and they bring in what is a new publishing line that did not work called The New Age of Heroes. It was supposed to be their next rebirth. And being mean when I say it doesn't work, although it definitely did not work. Quick explanation. They got the greatest, the, the biggest artist names DC had going at the time and said, hey, make a character. You're the lead in this book. 
when we talk about books, we're like, you know, Batman, written by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. In this case, it was by Jim Lee, artist got first top billing, and so-and-so. Mm. You're going to make new characters. The only ones that weren't new characters is um, the Terrifics used Plastic Man, Metamorpho, and Mr. Terrific, and Phantom Girl, but it was a new team they'd never put together before. And one other were the new challengers of the unknown or something like that. But it was completely new characters. This publishing line didn't work because not a single artist stayed on for longer than a single storyline. So the artists will lead the way. And then the artists all immediately ditched the books. The Terrifics ran for, I think, 18 to 24 issues. Okay. It was the best book of it. The other weird thing is they were like, because at the time, Marvel wasn't publishing a Bruce Banner Hulk book. They weren't publishing Fantastic Four. And so they were like, we're going, if they're not going to publish those books, we'll do it and we'll do it right. <laughs> it was Didio's like inclusion into it. And they didn't. Terrifics is a lot of fun in a like a love littered Fantastic Four, but they're not doing Fantastic Four right. They're doing a book that is clearly inspired by. Right. They did a wannabe Hulk book. It lasted six issues. It was bad. There were some really good stories in it. There are some really bad stories in it. I'm being mean when I'm saying how badly done it was because almost all of these books launch a bunch of new interesting books and only one of them ever lasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hitman is one of the most famous underground hits DC ever had. It made Garth Ennis' career. It spun out of a similar event called Bloodlines and was another one of like six books of new heroes that get their powers because of this big altering thing and only one series ever lasts, Mm -hmm. but you get some kind of fun stuff out of it. So I say it's a failure of a line, but I super bought immortal men last week to get to this. And I haven't gotten to it yet because I never finished (laughs) metal in my reread, but it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to worst case scenario. I'm going to get some weird, awesome Jim Lee art before he gets bored and wanders off halfway through. There you go. Classic Jim Lee. There you go. Is that it for this? I think we that's it for this. Okay. Without, yeah, without getting into all the details, because Jesus fucking Christ, this is it. We're oh. at almost two hours already, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what uh, What do you got for recommendations? Oh my this week? God, I completely forgot about recommendations. Do you have one? Give me like 40 seconds. I have kind of a, I have a, a cheat one, but it's one. Um, to go along when this released, Scott Snyder made a playlist on Spotify. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. That's... And I'm going to recommend that because I was actually listening to it all this morning. Despite being called DC Metal, uh, it isn't all just metal. It's either rather genre-friendly, I would say. Uh, there's some, like, punk hits in there. Uh, most of the metal isn't, like, hard, like, death metal stuff. There's, like, some classic, like, Judas Priest-type stuff. Um, there's, uh, there's a little bit of hit, like, hip-hop. There's... Like, cause they throw in like some tribe called quest on there and some public enemy. Uh, there's some beastie boys on there. Uh, I, I did notice that the last half of the, it's a decently long playlist. Uh, the last half of the playlist is, uh, noticeably harder in my opinion. And that so it tracks if, with this story anyways. And so if you don't, if you don't like the heavier stuff, then maybe only the first half of the playlist will be for you. Uh, but even in the heavier half of the, the playlist, like they pepper in other just like punk stuff. And nice. uh, it was a lot of fun. I was really enjoying it. And a, a couple of the things I'm like, yeah, I saw that live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You know what? I'm gonna be lazy. I'm gonna go with the Terrifics. Do it. Yeah. It it was it spun out of this book. It is a whole shit ton of fun. It is a love letter to the Silver Age. The very basic idea of it is Mr. Terrific, Plastic Man, Metamorpho, and Phantom Girl. But like the Legion of Superheroes version, mm. or like base, uh, a character based off that, not Phantom Woman, who's a different character, through weird mad science, are stuck that they can't go farther than a certain distance from each other. They have to stay within like a two mile radius or something like that. Mm. And so they become a super team. Because what the fuck else are you going to do? And it's a big love letter to the Silver Age of comics while still being intelligent and well-written and, like, I'm going to say challenging. It is a team... The the team dynamic works great. It is just... the the And not just, like, as good team-up and powers, but the personalities go together really well, which is just so valuable. Nice. That's what I got. I'm glad that that's what you have. So... We have next week planned. Yes. Uh, we'll be talking about Dragonlance Chronicles. We are going to talk about the most generic pop fantasy that I have ever read in my fucking life. And I know this because I finished it yesterday. That I can't give shit for being generic because it founded the genre, basically. It's going to be a lot of fun, as you can tell. In order to listen to that, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That would be super cool. Also, if you could rate and review us. Uh, however you're listening to us, that's even cooler because the world is ran on algorithms and we want to be up in those algorithms. Um, to go along with that, go check out like the website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Check out all of our back catalog there. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. While you're at the website, if you click the links up at the top, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Go check out the other shows on the network. Listen to me talk about horror movies over on Fried Squirm. Zach? You can listen to me and my buddy Nick, or Malark, he'll hate me for saying that, talk about war and war gaming and war treatises and we are just about to start our next one where we'll be talking this old old war roman general so if you want to hear old roman general tactics yeah art of war, of war gaming. gaming that's the part i forgot art of war gaming uh other things to come we're we're getting through the, i mean i tested negative for covid so so like shit's coming soon honest to god we've had one one project that we keep being like we'll sit down and record it this day and i'm like well I had to go get tested for COVID. Maybe don't come near me for a few weeks. God damn it. Yep, pretty much. It's so much sooner than it's ever been before. <laughs> That's what That's we're getting That's how time at. works, yes. <laughs> That's what we're getting at. Dragonlance. Oh, go find us on all the social media. Search for General Nerdery. We'll be what pops we're up. finally posting, kind of. Kind of. We're getting there. We're making the goal. This is the goal, guys. Post each of us once a week. And when the new episode comes out, if we could do that, we're doing like 400% better than we were doing before. At least. Um, <laughs> but for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed. Dismissed.